We all love a good holiday, but we're not called to a life of toiling, but a life of fruitfulness. And there's a powerful gospel difference that is contained here. If you're stretched here today, we need to catch this as a revelation. What does it mean to work from rest? John 15 verse 4 to 5 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I know this is Sunday. This is our day of rest. This is our day where we come to be refreshed and renewed in God and perhaps have a good sleep on a Sunday afternoon in church. (laughs) But I want to talk to you a little bit about the whole issue of work. And I want to invite you to just start to take a moment to reflect on your view of work. Have you ever thought deeply about work, about what it is that you do, about why you do it? How many of you would say that you work a regular nine to five? Regular nine to nine or eight to eight or seven to seven? How many on shift work? How many are thankfully unemployed? (laughs) A few? Great. And the rest of you are waiting for the trick question or the real non-trick part of the question. But we've all got work of some sorts. But I I wonder, have you ever sat down to think through why we work? And what is our work about? And is our work at all related to the fact that we have faith and that we walk with God and that we're Christians? I want to talk to you this afternoon about this whole area because I believe that how we work and why we work is actually a gospel issue. It's something that's related at core to what we believe about who Jesus is and what he's made us for or who he's made us to be. Now, I'm exploring this whole topic myself personally on a regular basis because I've confessed this to you before and it's still something that I'm working through. I'm a workaholic. I have a problem. I have an addiction to working. It can sometimes be the case that I'll be sitting with Rebecca at, I know she normally will go to bed around 9 9.15, so about 9 o'clock I start to think, well, what work have I got to do this evening? What can I use the next two hours before I go to bed to do? What can I uh, be productive in? And um, that's just fed over into too many areas of my life, and so I'm having to think through how I spend my time. Now, when I was, uh, I wish that someone had sat me, through, uh, sat me down and taught me through this a little bit earlier, so that I'd come to the revelation that Our highest calling is to be co-laborers with Christ, to work with Christ. And sometimes that looks like us doing stuff, and sometimes that looks like us enjoying his presence, and nothing more than that. Now, we do have an issue, and mostly in the room we're talking to millennials, and uh, we recognize that there is a whole range of people that would normally sit in a Sunday service that would also recognize these concerns. Now, more than ever, our work is linked to our identity, our sense of identity. It used to be that you would follow in the professions of your parents or the next step beyond that, following in the professions that they wish you would follow into. But now there is such an abundance of different work environments you can get involved in and such an abundance of different uh, employments that Finding you in your employment or finding employment that sits with you is one of the big decisions that people face today. And in the core of this messaging about finding who you are, finding your identity and your work, 
there is this subtext constantly. You prove who you are as a man or a woman by your work. You prove what kind of man or woman you are by the intensity in which you work or the level at which you work. And we all have encoded into us at some level this, this goal of reaching for an arbitrary status of having arrived in our careers. So that's one huge problem. Our identity is linked to work. But the other huge problem, especially in the millennial context, is that many millennials, millennials have problematized the necessity of work, i.e., we don't believe that we should work nine to five. We believe that we should work far less but get paid the same as someone who is willing to pay, uh, work nine to five or even willing to work nine to nine. Sit that alongside the influences that we have in life, the role models that we look to, the people that are celebrities in our world, and I don't just mean Hollywood celebrities. It might be that you have a particular interest in workplace efficiency or pro personal productivity or artistic design or um, uh, app design, whatever it might be, and you look at your role models in all of these contexts and say, that's the kind of lifestyle that I want, at the same time as experiencing reality for yourself. Sometimes work is hard to come by, and we end up shoehorned into work that we need to do to get money, not work that we feel that we are created to do. So in all of this, there's a challenge. Because we have to fundamentally ask the question, is my work linked to my calling? And when we're facing all of these challenges around identity, around celebrity, around necessity, and around status, we can struggle with seeing our value when we try to look at our calling in the context of the work that we do. Now, my premise for you today is that whatever your work routine, whether you work nine to five, nine to nine, you work shift work, or you've got seasonal work, the journey that a Christian is called to in terms of our work is to transfer our goals from living the dream, American dream or otherwise, English dream, European dream, whatever dream, transferring that to working out of our creation identity, to working out of who God made us to be. Whatever we're getting paid, however prominent or hidden we might be, is our life's produce aligned with who God made us to be? Now, I say that this is a gospel issue because God handcrafted each and every one of you in your core identity. He has gifted you in the ways he's gifted you. He's gifted you with your intelligence, with your character, with your personality, with your work ethic, with the physical body that you have, the context in which you grew up and so on. And he's calling you to be someone that takes all of that and uses it for his purpose or works in alignment with who God made you to be. Now, we... Um, we struggle with this because it sounds a little bit esoteric. It sounds a little bit out there. And while I've got my very real job here, Gabriel, how do I understand what you're saying, God's creation in this context? Well, let's break it down into a few practicalities. God gives us work to develop us in character as people, and then gives us work to produce fruit for his glory out of the giftings that we have. These are two vital elements of understanding our work. When I came to join the staff at Kensington Temple, I've only ever really had a job here at church, and um, so I, I understand that that kind of limits my frame a little bit. But when I came to um, join the staff here, I joined in the finance department with a chemistry degree, and I'm entering data, thinking to myself, why am I entering data? 
I've got a brain that's big, you know, I can think through a lot of stuff. But understandably, God had to deal with a lot of character stuff for me. Diligence, timeliness, integrity, uh, good communication, teamwork, and so on. All of these basics. These are the things we don't like to work through as millennials. We think we came out of the womb perfect. Um, And so there are issues that God needs to work into us in terms of character, particularly as Christians. But then having worked character into us, he can bring us into places where our giftings and our, uh, the qualities that you've placed in us align to where he uh, has created us to be. If you'd asked me 15 years ago, are you going to be a minister? Heaven, no. <laughs> I'm going to go make hundreds of thousands of pounds out there in the finance world. I'm going to somehow make it in the finance world and I'm going to become a philanthropist somewhere, but definitely not a minister. But having dealt with character stuff, God began to open up opportunities and chances where I began to express some of the giftings and talents that I have. Recently, about six years ago, I sat down to do kind of an assessment of the gifts that I have. And I found that things I'd struggled with in the beginning, why aren't I allowed to do this? Why can't I do this? I should be doing that, should be doing that. About eight or nine years later, having been shaped in character, came to a place where, oh, God's given me a voice. You know, I could preach to you in the back row without a microphone. That's the kind of strength of voice that God has given me. I, I can communicate with people. I can think organizationally. I can relate with people as, a, as individuals and lead them. Oh, these are all gifts. I look at my life and I see they're worked out in how I'm deployed or working for both paid work and unpaid work. Sometimes you might struggle with understanding what we do as pastors, uh, Coffee is a big part of what we do. <laughs> but um, uh, people always come to me, Gabriel, what do you do? So you just spend all week preparing sermons. Well, actually, I have a nine-to-five job, or nine-to-nine job some days, nine-to-five job in the church, running a Bible college. Everything we do relating to cells or relating to Sunday ministry is voluntary. It's part of our calling. But we work a nine-to-five. And so that involves managing teams, raising up lecturers, developing teaching notes, teaching classes, doing marketing, all of that kind of stuff. It's normal job work. And then we do public ministry stuff. So whether it's what I'm paid for or what I do for my calling, God is using my gifts in those areas. And for you, there will be a similar journey. For all of us, there's a similar journey of God shaping our character and then releasing us into spaces and places where we can exercise our gifting, whether it's paid or unpaid. It's aligned to who God made us to be. As a dad, I'm working in who God has made me to be as a father. As a husband, I'm working in the areas that God has made me to be a husband and so on, and so on for all of us. And so this is aligning with who God has made us to be. Now, part of my goals today in terms of practicalities are to link our passion for Jesus to the passion that we put into the work that we have. We'll call that anti-compartmentalism because some of us love to bucket. Monday to Friday, nine to five is my work and I will ignore that while I go out party Friday night and Saturday night and just to forget work and then come back to work on Monday. So anti-compartmentalism, our passion for Jesus flows into our passion for work, but then also to challenge you in any area where work supersedes a passion for Jesus, i.e. that we need to live with a correct hierarchy of God first and everything else flowing down from that afterwards. Now let's tackle a little bit about some practical issues of how we end up in a place where we feel we need to rest from work. 
If I was to ask you today, how many of you need a rest from work or a holiday? Is that it? The rest of you happy? Okay. So most people feel like we need a holiday. How many of you feel like you need a holiday or you will not survive? Okay. Okay, well, it seems like you've got your healthy, healthy balance in life. For those workaholics who are still out there hiding, pretending that you're going to be able to do everything that man and God gives to you to do, we start out on this journey with a series of unhealthy work practices. The first unhealthy work practice is we believe that work is our source. It's a subtle deception that begins to creep into understanding where we get our money from. We believe that money is our source and we can only do things if we have money in our hands. And this is uh, one of the real challenges of living in a world that we need to understand that work, work and money are not our source. Okay? Some of us live like this, abide in work and work in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in work. Work is the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in work and work in him, he it is that bears much busyness. For apart from work, you are doing nothing. For many of us, because we believe that work is so important, and if I don't do my work, I'm not going to get paid, we can end up working for the sake of work. Turning up for our hours without actually measuring the objectives or the outputs that we are called to. Maybe our bosses might, our managers might, but we just, like, means to an end. I work, I get paid. Work, get paid. So we work for the sake of work, and we can then multiply work to do in order to fill the time that we have. And if our bosses or our culture requires us to work beyond the normal nine to five, maybe you don't feel comfortable leaving at five because you know your colleagues are not leaving till seven or eight or nine, you multiply work just so you can sit at your desk. Well, why do that? And we often fall into these traps and, and continue in this route without ever th sitting down to think about, has God given me this work to do? The second unhealthy work pattern is that we work for the wrong goal. Most people work with this goal in mind. I'm going to work super, super hard, and then hopefully instead of retiring at 67, I can retire at 64, and then I'm going to live the dream. But by the time you get to 64, you're thinking, well, I probably could work until I'm 70 because I haven't got enough money in the account. And also, what am I going to do with my time? Um, the challenge of that deferred thinking is if we're not doing it now, we're probably not going to be doing it tomorrow, definitely won't be doing it then. Third unhealthy work pattern is that we work in the wrong rhythm. We work in a scenario where we will blitz it for a quarter, get our spring week holiday, blitz it for another quarter, take our two-week spring summer holiday, blitz it for another quarter, maybe have a little bit of a light week with the bank holidays, and then we go all the way through to Christmas, another week there. So we live busy and have these tiny, really comparatively small work breaks. And aside from that, work begins to fill every area of our life. Now, be honest with me, how many of you sleep with your phone next to your bed? How many of you, first thing you do is check if anyone messaged you when you wake up? How many of you wake up just to check if anyone messaged you and then go back to sleep? <laughs> how many of you check work emails when you wake up? 
just to see a few honest people at the front. The rest of you, Holy Spirit's listening. <laughs> but we can end up, without clear boundaries and with tech accessing every area of our lives, we can end up with work filling every moment. You can end up waking up, checking, seeing emails. You can be checking emails at night when you're supposed to be with family. You can be responding to calls and text messages right the way through to 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Let me just ask, if your mind is that busy with work always following you around, how are you doing with actually resting? Probably not great. How are you doing with your Jesus time? We sit down to pray. Oh, I've got to do that thing for work. Oh, I've got to do that bit of shopping. We sit down to worship. Someone calls from the office, we need you to come in early. You sit down for that day of prayer that you've set apart to specifically to pray. Someone's called in sick, you need to come in straight away. Work invades every aspect of our lives. And if you allow it to, and if you continue on that journey, uh, we end up living under incredible tension and stress, never with a rhythm of peace of mind, silence, solitude, how many of you love just spending time on your own? How many of you do spend time on your own? Okay, so about half of those that put your hand up. Why? Because work often invades everything else that we're doing. So we, first, wrong, work, wrong view with work as a source. Second, wrong view with work as the goal, uh, with the goal of some sort of mythical retirement. And third, the wrong rhythm. If you keep those at a high momentum, what eventually happens is that we bear fruit. But the fruit is not good fruit. We bear fruit in our bodies and we bear fruit in what we produce. In our bodies, we produce exhaustion, bad habits with no boundaries, emotional deadness because we're just too tired, and bad holidays. Now, why save up and spend all our time trying to have great holidays but then going on holiday and spending the first week in bed, the second week sort of recovering, and then you come back from holiday feeling like you need to go on another holiday. <laughs> What's the point of that? Instead of hitting the, the holiday running, ready to enjoy your time out. So the fruit is in our bodies, not good. And then in what we produce, we produce temporary stuff for the sake of it. We fail often at too many projects because we're too overemployed and we end up getting weary with the work that God has given us. And if you end up in a situation like that for too long, five, 10, 20 years and beyond that, you can become like Jacob. Jacob started with something that he loved. He loved his future wife, and so he was able to work and willing to work diligently. But by the time his seven years had multiplied to 14 and then on to 21, his love had become a chore, and it became necessary for him to get out. If we set our, up our lives, our work lives, in a bad format, we will end up believing that the only solution to our situation is to rest from work, to take a big break, to take a sabbatical. But the solution is wrong. Because I guarantee you, first three weeks, four weeks, you might feel like you're living the dream. Week five, week six, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start talking about the weather. People are going to get real bored hanging out with you because you're like, what do you do all day? Oh, nothing. I just watched a bit of telly, sat around, watched a book, you know, looked at the stars, watched the grass grow. And then you're going to get itchy. I need to be doing something. God made me for work. And then go back into work and then start that whole cycle again. 
The only way to address this is by fundamentally thinking, why do we do work in the first place? And how can I align my work with who I have been made to be? And so I want to talk to you a bit about this principle of biblical rest. Now, biblical rest isn't taking it easy physically. I need to go have a lie down or I need to just sit on the sofa for a bit. Biblical rest isn't having a day off a week so that you can go hang out with your mates and do whatever you want. Biblical rest isn't about being unburdened from work like the rest of mankind uh, who is employed gainfully in work. I know some Christians who are like, God's my provider, I don't need to work. Biblical rest isn't checking out of the reality of life. And also, the important one to say, biblical rest isn't a mind game that God plays with us while giving us a greater burden to carry in life. You're resting. Have more to do. You're resting. Have more to do. It's not a mind game like that. We need to un- elevate our understanding as to what biblical rest is so that we can work from that rest. Now, for me, practicality speaking, I became conscious that I had a workaholism problem when I became a family man. Before that, it was really easy to, to conceal because you, when you're a single guy, you can use all your time for yourself doing what you want to do. When you get married, you can trick yourself into thinking that you're really spending quality time with your wife, but really you're doing all you want to do with your own time and squeezing someone in. You have to come to a place where you've radically changed your life when you become a family man, and actually it makes you reevaluate how you did marriage as well. Because suddenly, there are people who legitimately have a demand on your time that you have to say yes to. If your friends call you when it's Friday night and you want to work late, nah, too busy, see you later, thank you. Your wife, husband, or your kids, it's Friday night, you better put whatever work you're doing down, otherwise it's not good. Um, and so at that point, I suddenly became conscious, I've got a problem. I've, I've got a problem of thinking of work that I need to do when I should be chilling out and having fun with my family. What is going on? But the way I rationalized this to myself at the beginning was, well, you know, I just have a greater capacity than other people, and I just have more endurance, and you're just not as passionate about what you do as I am, because I get to do it for Jesus. <laughs> you know, I would deceive myself with all of these things until I came to a place where I was too tired to add another thing. I had wife, two boys, Bible college, cell ministry, Sunday preaching, Sunday pastoring, and then for some stupid reason, I put a master's on top of all of that. I suddenly realized that the things I've been telling myself and the justification for the level of workaholism that was in my life was all a big lie. I'd become a bottleneck. I was at risk of burning out. I had to reevaluate. And my encouragement to you, if you are even tending in that way to peace at all, is to reevaluate. We've got to think about what rest is. To understand rest, we need to understand passion. Some people are very motivated to do what they do because of passion. For the Christian, passion isn't trying to earn your way to heaven. Passion isn't fueled by others' passion. Passion isn't an opportunity to be adored by others. Passion isn't responding to a deep guilt for sin and therefore trying your hardest. Passion isn't a competitive spirituality. I'm just more excellent than you. 
Passion isn't taking on other people's responsibilities, believing you're the only one who can do it. Rather, passion is living out of a love for Jesus, whatever that looks like. And the moment you reframe it in that context, you have to start changing the kinds of language you use because you're no longer doing things for some sort of subjective measurement. You're doing things out of a relationship with the living God. And when you talk relationally, you've got to change the way that you interact. It can't all just be about getting things done. Sometimes it needs to be about quality time. Sometimes it needs to be about enjoying someone. Sometimes it needs to be about getting to know them. Sometimes it needs to be about serving them and so on. So there's a fundamental shift. But also, understanding passion correctly links directly to rest because it's Jesus' passion that made a way for us to enter his rest. Now, this is the sort of stuff that you might have to buy, listen to the message a couple of times on, um, on the web just to catch, but it's stuff that's important for us. Jesus went to the cross so that we could enter into a place of peace with God. What that peace looks like is a fresh reliance on God's work for you. Why that's important is because it's going to ultimately impact the kinds of work that you will do. When we recognize that God has saved us, God has forgiven us, God has accepted us, God is empowering us, and God is making a way for us in terms of the life that we're called to live. When we fundamentally accept that, our work is no longer about trying to achieve an identity. Our work is flowing out of the identity that we now have in Christ. I'll give you an example. When I had a problem, and I'm still working through it, but I'm talking about it past tense because it's a journey away from it, right? But when I had a problem with workaholism, the way to provoke me to do more, look how much I'm doing. Gabriel, why are you sitting down? I'm going to beat you. Because in me, there was a competitive thing. So the way to provoke me to do more was to try to appeal to my sense of identity as a competitive person. Or if I would be dropping one ball out of 100, why did you drop that one ball, Gabriel? I thought you could do 101 things. Again, that would motivate me to want to do more, to achieve some sort of mythical status of being productive or being capable. The moment you start to accept, you know what, my identity is fixed in Christ no matter whether I'm juggling 101 things or dropping 101 things, it changes your motivation for working. I'm no longer motivated to work to try to attain a status. I've got something from God that I can now live out of. I can be a blessing out of. The moment we shift there, we shift into a place of strength. Uh, actually, rest, the rest that God has made available for us is God's greatest place of strength for you. It's a place where you can move from, I need to work in my own capacity and strength into God. What are you doing and how can I work with you? How can I partner with you in, in who you've made me to be? Um, the moment we say, God, I accept 
who you say that I am. I accept that I'm loved. I accept that I'm forgiven. I accept that you have a purpose for me. We can start to ask the question, God, what are you doing so that I can do it with you? Because God loves the work that he's given you to do. He loves the capacity that you have to fulfill that work, and he wants to do it with you. Very small example, but with my boys, Luke is getting very artistic. He's loving to draw. I'm not an artist. I hate drawing, but I love sitting down with him, watching him color things in and draw things. And when he draws a monster truck that looks like a five-legged rabbit, you know, it's brilliant. Love doing that with him. Isaiah is physical as. He will come and wrestle. He's only like this high, 18 months. And he'll come and wrestle me and jump on my head. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Love doing that with you. So there's two very different character, characters and characteristics, but I love spending time with them doing what they're doing. God so much more. If God created you, he loves partnering with you in what he has given you to do. And that can be as boring or mundane as kitchen work. There's a guy called Brother Lawrence. He's well worth you looking up. It's about, he was a monk about 500 years ago. He became real famous because he focused on the presence of God. So he would focus on God's presence during prayer, but then he would go to work in the kitchen scrubbing pots, go to preparing meals, go into the garden to tend certain herbs and so on, and practice the presence of God wherever he went, so much so that people would follow him around to, these, to, to doing the kitchen work, to the kitchen, etc., so that they could experience the presence of God that was with him in those places. Paul did the same with his tent-making thing. As he was sweating during the work of tent-making, the rags that they took from him were healing people all over the place wherever they went. This is the challenge for us. The moment we accept that our fundamental identity is in Christ, he comes with us to every single place that we go and changes or infuses everything that we do by way of work with his glory. In this context, briefly, Sabbath. I used to think that Sabbath was a religious idea. Whenever people come to me and say, you need to take a day of rest, I'd be like, yeah, okay, when I'm in heaven. But Sabbath in this context is very important. I talked to you before about big chunks of work, big holidays. God calls us to one day a week set down our work to acknowledge God is going to hold the whole universe together still, like he's been doing whether you are working or not. And in those days saying, God, you know what? I'm going to give this day to you to honor you and celebrate who you are. Celebrate who you are with my family. Celebrate who you are with my, uh, my friends. Celebrate who you are with, with things that you've given me to do that are non-work related in terms of employment. But they are things that delight you, God. And especially in London, when you can fill up every day with something, saying, God, you know what? I know you're going to keep running the world without me. So, we're not called to work at rest from work. It's a flawed model. It's not going to be the solution that you want it to be. Rather, we're called to slow down, to reorientate our life around the core that God has made us for a purpose. And from that place, begin to do stuff with God that is what he has created us for. I don't mean going out tomorrow and quitting your job. I do mean if you are somebody that's contracted for nine to six and you're working nine till nine or beyond, 
And I do mean you really radically thinking about why you're doing that. Because there is three hours there that is time you could be spending with God. Oh no, but I couldn't put the culture in my, culture in my workplace, I'll get fired. Do a Daniel on it. Daniel ate vegetables for 21 days and looked better than the people that had been eating full diets. Say to God, God, I want to redeem those three hours for, for you and for what you want me to do with them. Therefore, make me as productive between nine and six as I would be between nine and nine. And let me not just multiply work so I can sit at my desk. Let me do meaningful stuff, get it done, and then get the heaven out of there. Um, so for practical change, you might need to return to your first love. And I don't just mean, yes, God, I love you. I mean, how is your time structured? Are you spending time with God? And then starting to look at the way you live your life. Are you working, uh, are you having a great prayer time in the morning and then running off to work and forgetting all about God? Or are you having a great time prayer in the morning and then walking with God throughout the day? God, what are you doing? How can I partner with you in this? You might need to diligently undo some bad habits. If you've got a tech problem, maybe you need to plug your phone in downstairs instead of taking it into the bedroom with you. Or maybe you need to leave it at work. Just an idea for you. Um, Change your work practices around things that have lasting value. And when things are given to you to do that aren't yours to do, being willing to say no. Had to rush through those practicalities a bit at the end, but hopefully some challenge for us. We're called to work from rest, to work from deep assurance that we're loved and accepted, and we've been created for a purpose which looks radically different to running a rat race in London. It looks like walking with God through every single day that he's given us. Amen.